In the hours that followed, after they realized that Aang had gone missing, if anyone were to ask Zuko what had happened, he would not be able to answer. Panic had risen to his throat at the realization that their plan was falling apart as the day wore on. For all of his talk, he'd been afraid of the aftermath of what would happen if they lost. Without Aang, there was very little chance for any of them. And this was not the first time that the young Avatar ran away from his responsibilities, even in times when the world needed him most. While searching for the Avatar, Zuko felt as if he were watching the search from the vantage point of someone who was watching from the outside. He did not feel as if his body belonged to him. Despite Top's best effort to engage him in conversation, he could not find it in himself to be what she wanted him to be. He reasoned that he would make it up to her eventually, if they all still lived after the war was won. When they found their search to be Sisyphean, every inch of Ember Island having been scoured by them in their search for the missing Avatar, they looked to Zuko for guidance on how to proceed. He returned their trust with confusion, flabbergasted at the mantle of leadership that has been thrust upon him. But they had a point. They packed up their belongings and made their way to the Earth Kingdom. The journey was mostly silent and uneventful, each of them too afraid to break the silence and address the elephant mandrel in the room. They had a plan. They were going to stick to it. They flew Appa as fast as the creature would go, seeking what he knew to be the only solution to their predicament. Upon landing, they came across a clearing that housed the tavern in the middle of the woods. The stench of ale was very nearly overpowering. As Zuko opened the door for all of them to enter, did the dim yellow light of the tavern bring everything to view. And the reason you've brought us to a seedy Earth Kingdom tavern is what now? Katar asked. June, said Zuko, pointing his finger at a woman at a table, seemingly minding her own business with her tea until an unfortunate man stumbled into her and she rendered him useless with her legs without ever spilling her tea. Katara remembered her instantly with her beautiful, shiny hair that was so pristinely kept with a topknot secured by what looked like a small skull and flawless skin with a tattoo on her arm just by her shoulder and the grace and casual disinterested intent with which she moved with her body that she had only ever seen with other Kiyoshi warriors. June made it look so easy, so effortless. Oh yeah! That weird bounty hunter with a giant mole, said Sokka. Mole? Suki asked, incredulous. Her skin is flawless. No, she has this giant mole creature she rides around on. He defended. The sheer shoe, Zuko clarified solemnly. It's the only animal that can track down Aang's scent anywhere in the world. As he spoke, the gang watched as she blocked and fought with drunken folk who were trying to pick a fight with her for no reason. Not once did she spill her tea, nor did a single hair move out of place. It was incredible to watch. It's the one shot we have at finding him. Just then, another drunk man went to charge at June. She launched her teacup into the air and threw the man to a crowded table without breaking a sweat. She caught the hot cup without spilling a single drop. I don't know who this June lady is, Toph started, but I like her. 
Hey, I remember her, said Sokka. She helped you attack us. Yup, Zuko answered, approaching the bounty hunter who had settled back to a seat at her table. Back in the good old days. The group approached her slowly, and upon giving Zuko a side-eye, she smirked into her tea. Oh great, it's Prince Pouty. She said. Where's your creepy grandpa? He's my uncle, said Zuko defensively, as she poured herself another cup of tea. And he's not here. I see you work things out with your girlfriend, said June, taking a sip. A blush rose to both their cheeks, hairs at the back of their necks rising on end. They stiffened, suddenly altogether too warm, and they denied it at the same time. I'm She's not, not my girlfriend. girlfriend! They didn't see Sokka and Suki give each other a knowing look. Toph rolled her eyes and said nothing. Okay, okay, sheesh. I was only teasing, said the bounty hunter her hands up in mocking surrender, still drinking her tea. So what do you want? I need your help finding the Avatar, said Zuko. Hmm. She considered, taking a long drink. Doesn't sound too fun. Zuko frowned. He took a step toward her, gesturing dramatically with his hands as he spoke. Does the end of the world sound like more fun? It didn't work. Despite Nyla's best efforts to locate Aang, he was deemed to have simply ceased existing. With nothing else up their sleeves, Zuko took the lead and suggested that they find his uncle Iroh instead. When he ran away from the Fire Nation to join the Avatar, he had not planned for the journey. He had the same things that he had from when he was at the ship that he used to command. As a rule, he never truly unpacks in case he has to be on the run again. This was established when he was made a fugitive after Azula's almost capture of him and his uncle. The slipper had been when his uncle had been captured by Earth Kingdom soldiers for his war crimes in Ba Sing Se, and Zuko had had to go look for him. When Zuko was in the balloon on his way to look for the Avatar, he took advantage of the solitude and took inventory of everything he had. When he came across his uncle's revolting slipper, he hadn't thought about keeping it for sentiment's sake. Perhaps it would come useful if he ever had to see him again and Iroh wouldn't hear of it. Zuko could always use it as an excuse to see him, if only to return it. And by then, though he was not a sentimental young man, it was one of the only things that he had that reminded him of his uncle. Upon smelling the slipper and capturing Iroh's scent, Nyla launched into a run, carrying June on her back. The gang followed suit, and it took them the rest of the day to cross the Earth Kingdom. The sun had already set by the time they reached the broken walls of Ba Sing Se. June left soon after, having done her favor for the prince, that he was certain would come up to some method of payment at some point if he were to survive this and the gang had decided to set up camp before they tried to look for his uncle. They did not have time to rest, however, as they were soon greeted by friendly fire, the members of the Order of the White Lotus. 
They were greeted by their old masters, much to their delight, and it was then that Katara could only notice that Zuko had gotten quite quieter since the elders arrived and escorted them to the White Lotus camp. Master Piandao pointed out where his uncle was, and Zuko did not hesitate, though Katara could only imagine his inner conflict. Finding his uncle and asking for his help to defeat his father were not parts of the plan. He'd had a plan, and it had fallen to ruin right before him, and Zuko, ever militant and in control, could only do so much and be so much before he needed reprieve himself. Katara watched him leave, go to his uncle's tent, and then stop just before entering, and sat in front of it in hesitation. Despite her wish to go to him, she was torn between staying with her brother and her new grandfather, or comforting her friend. Her answer came in the form of a hand on her shoulder. Go, said Suki. We know he needs you. Katara nodded. I'll be back. She walked over to Zuko. It got darker and darker as the night crept up on them both. She stood over him as he was hunched over himself. He looked as if he were about to be sick. Are you okay? She asked. No, I'm not okay. My uncle hates me, I know it. He said, turning his head away from her in his shame. She got to her knees and sat beside him. He loved me and supported me in any way he could, and I still turned against him. He continued, turning his gaze toward her. How can I even face him? Zuko, you're sorry for what you did, right? She asked, gentle and calm as the most serene sea. More sorry than I've ever been about anything in my entire life. Then he'll forgive you said Katara, certain and steady. She shrugged her shoulders once, as if it were the simplest fact in the world. And to her, it truly was. He will. She watched as he took her words to heart and rose to his feet. He stopped just by the entrance, took a deep breath, and stepped inside. Uncle, she heard him say, she stayed just by the tent's entrance for a while and heard nothing else but Iroh snoring. Zuko must have settled inside and refused to move, waiting until his uncle woke up. Toph walked toward her as she looked at the lotus on the door of Iroh's tent. Hey. Toph greeted. You in there? Mm-hmm, said Katara. You're gonna wait for him, aren't you? Yep. Not sure if Iroh will forgive him? Toph teased. What? No! She said. Toph gave her a look, and she realized that her voice had gotten high in his defense. Warmth rose to her cheeks, and she looked away, though the blind girl could not see her embarrassment. She softened her voice, nearly wistful as she continued. No, they'll be alright. He'll forgive Zuko, I know it. It's hard not to. Yeah, I know. I'm just messing with you, said the younger of the two, a smirk on her lips. Sparky's really on edge, though. I can feel him just about to pass out from nerves from here. I think we all are, Katara replied. We are kind of at war here, Toph. 
Yeah, but he was kind of a real jerk to me back at Amber Island. Really? She asked. How? Yeah, really bummed me out, too. While we were looking for Aang, he was all... Katara looked up at Toph to see that she was gesturing and frowning dramatically. It struck her as funny that Toph has never once seen Zuko frown, and yet, as she was doing an impression of him, Katara couldn't help but feel like the other girl had gotten him just right. She chuckled and shook her head. I'm sure he'll make it up to you, she said, her lips curving to a small smile. There's just a lot on his mind right now. You know how he is. Yeah, probably. I'll guilt him into baking me some of that pie that one time. That was real good. A beat later, Toph added, You two are really something else, Sugar Queen. What do you mean? I can feel the way you guys are around each other, you know. Kind of makes me wonder who's actually the blind one between us. Toph. Whatever. She said, shrugging her shoulders. You know we're all just waiting for it to happen with you two. I'm sure that's not true. Said Katara, shifting her weight ever just so. She didn't know if she imagined her heart skipping a beat at the insinuation as her thoughts went back to Aang. Eh, said Toph. Tinkletoes will get over it. He's like, twelve, literally. You're good to him. He needs that. Her blue eyes went to the lotus pattern on the front of the tent, and the anxious boy she knew just to be on the other side of it. She felt herself smile. Hopeful, yet anxious just the same. He's good to me too, she said finally. No duh, came the earthbender's remark. Anyway, you sure you're going to wait out here? By the feel of Iroh's snores, that guy's out cold till morning for sure. I'm sure, said Katara, nodding. Toph considered it for a moment before she said, I'll bring you over some food later. I've got to talk to Boomy about some stuff. Thanks, Tuff. As the sun rose and Katara felt her bones start to tire, she heard a loud groan come from inside Iroh's tent. The Grand Lotus's tent had been uneventful and quiet for that night. Katara stayed outside of the tent, keeping silent support for her friend, and managed to peep through a small gap that she could spot by the door. Zuko spent the night in silent meditation as his uncle slept. She spent the night looking up at the moon and finding some form of serenity on her own. At the sound of Iroh's groaning, she went back to the gap to take a look at what was happening. Zuko hadn't moved and Iroh kept his back to him. She had her hand against her heart and waited with bated breath. Uncle, Zuko started. I know you must have mixed feelings about seeing me. But I want you to know I am so, so sorry, Uncle. She heard his voice break then, and she knew that he'd started crying. I am so sorry and ashamed of what I did. I don't know how I can ever make it up to you, but I'll... Iroh moved more quickly than she'd ever seen him move, but he turned around and grabbed Zuko by the shoulder and pulled him into a tight embrace. 
His eyes were closed, and she saw that he was crying too. Her breath hitched in surprise, and she felt her own tears start to well up in her eyes at the sight of this happy, happy scene. How could you forgive me so easily? Zuko asked, incredulous. I thought you would be furious with me. She stepped back at the sound of it and wiped away her tears. She dusted herself off and walked away from the tent, letting them have their private moment, now certain that Zuko would be okay. As she walked away, now in search of her brother and grandfather, she started to smile to herself. It was the day before the comet. Zuko, Katara, Sokka, Suki, and Toph were all sat together in a circle with a grand lotus, Iroh of the Fire Nation. They all sat in front of a pot of newly cooked stew as they shared their meal, all of them fully aware of what tomorrow may bring. It was the calm before the storm, they knew, and days like this always felt different. All of them in that circle, in that camp, knew that tomorrow... The world would be changed for all the rest of time. This was the day that history would forget, for tomorrow carved out what would shape their future. Uncle, you're the only person other than the Avatar who could possibly defeat the Father Lord, said Zuko. You mean the Fire Lord? Toph corrected. That's what I just said, said Zuko. Katara heard it, though, and she raised a brow at him. He returned her knowing look with one of his own. Mmm, Iroh started, bowing his head and raising his bowl ever just so. We need you to come with us. No, Zuko, said Iroh finally. It won't turn out well. You can beat him, and we'll be there to help. Even if I did defeat Ozai, and I don't know that I could... It would be the wrong way to end the war, said Iroh. Despite the simplicity of his words, the way he spoke held a certain gravitas. He was, of course, a retired general, despite his current command being a bunch of kids. History would see it as just more senseless violence, a brother killing a brother to grab power. The only way for this war to end peacefully is for the Avatar to defeat the Fire Lord. Zuko looked down and considered it for a moment. And then he started to ask, Then would you come and take your rightful place on the throne? His gold eyes looked young, anxious, as if he feared the answer that his uncle would say. No said Iroh. Someone new must take the throne. An idealist with a pure heart and unquestionable honor. Katara, Suki, and Sokka looked across from each other and gave each other a knowing smile. It has to be you, Prince Zuko. Zuko nearly jumped up in his shock, his eyes wide and mouth agape. His astonished expression very nearly broke her heart, but it was all she could do to say nothing and look at him. Of course it was him. Unquestionable honor? He asked. 
He shrugged his shoulders and frowned. But I've made so many mistakes. Yes, you have, his uncle replied. Gold eyes met gold, earnest, wise, and true. You've struggled, you've suffered, but you have always followed your own path. You restored your own honor, and only you can restore the honor of the Fire Nation. He bowed his head and kept a steady, unreadable expression on his face and said, I'll try, uncle. Well... Toph started. Suki and Sokka turned their heads to look at her. What if Aang doesn't come back? Sozin's comet is arriving, and our destinies are upon us, said Iroh, his voice louder now as he addressed the entire group. Aang will face the Fire Lord. Iroh said this with no hesitation, as if he were sure of the fact and not simply guessing at a probable future. He continued, When I was a boy, I had a vision that I would one day take Ba Sing Se. Only now do I see that my destiny is to take it back from the Fire Nation, so the Earth Kingdom can be free again. That's why you gather the members of the White Lotus, Suki exclaimed, gesturing to the other members of the camp. Yes, he confirmed. Zuko, you must return to the Fire Nation so that when the Fire Lord falls, you can assume the throne and you can restore peace and order. But Azula will be there, waiting for you. Zuko frowned. His brows furrowed, his scarred eye very nearly a simple slit on his face with a speck of his gold eye peeking through. I can handle Azula, he said, determined. A soldier, Guitar remembered thinking. Not a son. Not a brother. Not alone, said Iroh. His expression changed as his uncle said this. You'll need help. You're right he said, and just as quickly did his gaze go from his uncle to Katara. He said, How would you like to help me put Azula in her place? She straightened up and smirked. It would be my pleasure. What about us? What's our destiny today? Sokka asked, hands played as he gestured. What do you think it is? Ivor returned, wisely combing through his stew with his chopsticks. I think that, even though we don't know where Aang is, Sokka started, and he balled one hand into a fist and gestured slamming it into his palm as he continued. We need to do everything we can to stop the airship fleet. And that means when Aang does face the Fire Lord? Toph added, gesturing as well. We'll be right there if he needs us. Iroh smiled, and the new plan was born.